There are roughly 1,600 people that have vanished in America's national parks or forests, but there really is no official way of keeping track of those who've gone missing on federal land. Once the search is done, it's done. If the missing person isn't found after about a week or so of searching, efforts to look for that missing person just sort of evaporates. And this is especially true if the search involves disappearances in the wilderness. Everyone kind of just goes back to their everyday lives, the missing left behind, and the families left wondering. In a way, I understand as painful as it is to leave a place where you know someone is, thinking that they might just be found around the next bend or just over the next embankment, obscured from our view, but possibly so close. You just can't search forever, though. You have to walk away, hoping that, at best, with some sheer stroke of luck, that maybe that missing person might somehow miraculously make their way to safety. Or, at worst, someone will someday stumble across what remains. The fact is, is that there just aren't enough resources to maintain long-term search efforts beyond more than a week. That seems to be the plausible time frame for survivability in the wilderness for the average person. Once a rescue isn't a rescue anymore, once it becomes a recovery effort, the urgency to find the person drops off unless there's a crime suspected. Otherwise, recovery of the missing person is left up to chance. It's very expensive to send up search aircraft, and so much of the wilderness is inaccessible to begin with. You want to scour every inch of land possible, but what are the chances that the missing person really made their way that deep into the wilderness? And to send people out on foot begins to not make sense if the point of survivability has been surpassed. The cost of the search efforts along with putting others at risk, can only be justified for so long. Essentially, of the roughly 640 million acres of mostly untouched land, the United States does not keep any records of people who have gone missing on those lands. So what this means is that if any time, anywhere in the United States, a random hiker or passerby finds something suspicious like a shoe or a piece of clothing, There is no official nationwide database that can be accessed to make any type of comparisons to see if that article of clothing or item can be matched to a person having gone missing in a national park or forest. There are petitions circulating hoping to compel the Department of the Interior to develop a national database of missing persons who vanished on public lands. And for me, When a person goes mysteriously missing while hiking or camping, it has a particularly eerie feel to the whole thing. Sometimes when searches for missing persons are launched, odd things are sometimes found, often compounding the mystery. There have been times searchers have found clothing of a missing person neatly folded. Sometimes when bodies are found, They are in places that are difficult to get to or almost impossible to reach. Other times, bodies are found in places that have been searched over and over and over again. And sometimes, 
People who are purportedly excellent and experienced hikers go missing during the winter and they are found without their shoes on. Things like these are good fodder for conspiracy theories. And if you listen to enough of my shows, when I do encounter a story that has a great deal of mystery swirling around it, I try to keep the theories as realistic as possible. My go-to answers are never going to be alien abductions or Bigfoot. But when hikers and campers go missing and they're never found, I'm almost always going to think that they're someplace out of sight or that Mother Nature did away with them or whatever was left of them. And it will almost always be just a matter of time before someone happens across something or some part of that person. With that being said, I wanted to tell you a short story today about a boy named Jared Negretti, a resident of El Monte, California. He was born September 11th, 1978, and he vanished on July 19th, 1991, while on a camping trip with his Boy Scout troop. But he didn't vanish without a trace, and I will talk about what he left behind in a few minutes. This was Jared's very first overnight backpacking outing ever. That Friday, he and his fellow scouts were on a hike to the summit of Mount San Gorgonio, which is located in the San Bernardino National Forest and is the highest peak in Southern California at 11,500 feet or 3,505 meters. Now, I am no Boy Scout expert by any stretch, but I don't know why this hike gives me bad feelings. That seems like kind of a treacherous ascent for a group of 12 or 13 year olds, but that's just me. I know these groups are meant to present challenges for kids, but still, for me, I find it a bit worrisome. I read a description of the mountain on alltrails.com and it is described as the rite of passage for serious hikers in Southern California who might want to train for hiking up Mount Whitney which is not only the highest summit in California, but also the highest summit in the contiguous United States at an elevation of 14,505 feet or 4,421 meters. I don't know what trail Jared and his troop were on. There are several of them. I think I read that there were about eight, some of which are more challenging than others. Even so, it seems like a lot for a first-time overnighter. Around 6 p.m., Jared began to grow a little bit tired, and he was falling behind the rest of his troop. He was about 5 foot 1 or 1.6 meters tall and weighed about 150 pounds or 68 kilograms. So, he might have been slightly heavier than the average boy at that height, and I can see how he may have become worn out a little more quickly than the others. And you know what? It wasn't even Jared's troop or his troop leader that noticed that he was lagging behind. It was another unrelated group of hikers who noticed him hanging back from his group and who had taken it upon themselves to notify Jared's leader that one of his kids was straggling behind. So for some inexplicable reason, his troop leader told Jared to go ahead and take a rest and that they would finish their hike and come back for him on the way back down. So many things wrong with that, right? I mean, my goodness, I don't care who, what, 
where, when, how, or why, I'd never, ever, ever leave a child alone on a mountain trail, ever, ever, ever. Just no. This infuriates me, and I'll talk a little bit more about it at the end of the story, but how could anyone not see how badly this could possibly end? Oh, wait, it did. So the rest of the troop carried on without Jared, and that would be the last time he would ever be seen. When his troop turned around, Jared was nowhere to be found. He was just gone. So Jared's troop leader brought the group back down to base camp and then hiked approximately five miles at night to get help. The San Bernardino County Sheriff was immediately notified and a massive search was launched. Rescue teams from all over Southern California descended upon the area to help search for the missing 12-year-old. After about three days of searching, they were able to begin to narrow the search area down to about a six square mile area. Searchers found one footprint around the 10,000 foot or 3,048 meter elevation mark that they thought was a match to Jared's tennis shoes that he had been last seen wearing. Yeah, I said tennis shoes. How crazy is that? I don't want to be too judgy, but I don't think the person who approved of tennis shoes for this kind of a hike made that wise of a choice. I even heard from someone I was talking to about the case that said he had high top converse on, which for hiking seems hugely inadequate. Discovering Jared's footprint gave searchers hope that they were getting close to possibly locating him. They also found some beef jerky and candy wrappers, and those items were also thought to have been left behind by Jared as well. Don't you guys get sad when you think about this search? Finding a footprint? Finding food wrappers? It makes you feel like you're getting so close, knowing you're literally looking at the place where this boy once stood. It's frustrating, isn't it? Surviving this was very possible. This was summer. It was warm at night. There are natural water sources on the mountains. Jared had his snacks with him, but it's like he's just one step ahead. I can't help but wonder why he didn't stay put in the first place. Well, like I said, his troop leader shouldn't have left him there without an adult. And besides, they all should have stayed together anyway. Even if Jared was trailing behind, he should have had an experienced adult hiker behind him. Whatever the case, they left him. But why did he wander off? Did he grow bored or impatient? After he took a rest, did he try to continue on to catch up with the rest of his troop or wander off onto the wrong trail, unable to find his way back? Or maybe he tried to head back to the area where they were going to camp for the night. I'm assuming they weren't camping near the summit because the troop leader said that they would meet back with him on their way back down. Anyway, he obviously didn't stay put. And finding his footprint and food wrappers, but not him, meant that he was still wandering around somewhere. And then there was one very ominous find. Jared's camera. When the film was finally developed, there were 12 pictures on the roll. It appeared that most of the photos were snapped before Jared went missing. Most of them were pictures of the surrounding area. 
pictures of the landscape he apparently took during their backpacking trip. There is one haunting picture on the roll. The very last picture ever taken with that camera. And it would be the very last picture taken of Jared. It was a selfie because it depicted only his eyes and his nose as if he turned the camera around and pointed it towards his face. The flash was used so it appeared the picture was taken after dark sometime the first evening after he got lost. The camera was discovered in close proximity to the food and candy wrappers and based on where it was lying, it looked like Jared attempted to slide down an embankment to an area where there was water and dropped his camera in doing so. I will revisit this picture and this camera a little bit more towards the end of the episode. Because of all of these promising discoveries, all searchers focused in the narrow grid in the area surrounding where those items were found. More than a hundred search volunteers scoured that specific area alone. Every resource was deployed in an attempt to track down Jared's whereabouts. He was leaving clues behind and they seemed so close to finding him. And like I said, the area Jared was in was very, very survivable for days even. They knew he had snacks and had access to fresh water and the weather conditions were favorable. But as the days passed, the chances of Jared's survival diminished. This search for Jared lasted 19 days. After seeing his face on that photo from his camera, I don't think that they were going to give up after only a week knowing that he was out there wandering somewhere. Family and volunteers searched by foot and on horseback. There were at least 70 law enforcement officers assisting with the searching and infrared helicopters were brought in and infrared sensors were installed at several points on the summit the Saturday after he went missing, but those only ever captured deer and other wildlife. In the end, more than 3,000 volunteers searched tirelessly for Jared Negretti for countless hours, combing through more than 50 square miles of forest, trails, and rugged terrain to no avail. No other trace of Jared was ever found. And to this day, closing in on 27 years since he went missing, there has been no sign, no clues as to what became of the 12-year-old. So what do you guys think happened to Jared Negretti? The most popular theory is that he fell and became injured somehow and just died or perhaps was scavenged by animals. I think that's my favorite theory as well. I think Jared continued wandering around, stopped and had his snacks, and eventually took that picture. But I don't know how much longer Jared lasted out there because the search for him was so extensive. And he was a Boy Scout, right? They are taught what to do if they get lost, at least I hope that they would be. I don't know what the protocol is for getting lost. Maybe try to light a fire? Or if you have something bright with you, hang that on a nearby tree. Or maybe find some rocks and things to spell out SOS in a clearing that can be easily seen from above. If Jared was completely and totally lost, 
Maybe he was taught to find shelter for himself for the night and stay in that place. It's so vast out there, but so many people were looking for him. That's why I don't think he survived that long. And that's why I think he was injured and succumbed to his injuries and maybe done away with by animals. But what about that wildlife? There is a long debate about the wildlife on Reddit. And I don't want to get too deep into it because it doesn't seem to be that common of a thing for animals to attack humans. I live in an area where there are many, many places to go hiking all over Southern California. And generally people being attacked by wildlife isn't an issue. I more often hear about coyotes attacking small animals in residential areas or in people's backyards, but being attacked on hikes, it's not something that frequently happens. Besides, the searchers indicated that they did not see wildlife when they were looking for Jared. But then again, wouldn't animals tend to avoid a group of people who might be yelling for Jared as they're scouring the area? then that would make sense then why they didn't see any animals. I'm pretty sure animals don't want any part of that mess. I also read that predators really aren't lurking around at those altitudes or in those less traveled areas. Would they not be more inclined to hang around places where people might be or may have been, where people might be littering or leaving food behind in trash cans and things? I'm really on the fence about the wildlife being involved at all. Even if Jared had injured himself and was unable to move anymore and became vulnerable to a predator, would an animal attack a young boy who was injured and not moving? Or perhaps Jared dozed off? Or what if he was bleeding? I don't know why I'm not really feeling like there was much involvement on the part of wildlife on that mountain. I read a post that said if there had been any predators around that they would have likely scavenged on something that had already been dead rather than attempting to attack or pounce on a live person, but I don't know. That's one of the most confounding aspects of this case. I mean, how could we or would we ever know what a potential predator may or may not do if we never see it happen or ever find any traces of the missing person? All we can do is sit here and speculate. Was it a mountain lion or wasn't it? We just can't know because we have no clues to examine. Jared is just gone. Even if Jared died the first night or the second night and some predator got to him, obviously since he's never been found, if that were the case, there would have been plenty of time for his remains to have been scattered all over the place, I would assume. But... What I have a hard time wrapping my head around is the fact that searchers found his food and candy wrappers and that camera with that eerie selfie that Jared took. What really gets to me is what I had said earlier. He didn't disappear without a trace. There were those traces, those belongings of his. He was right there. And I just can't imagine Jared having wandered off that much further. And with that extensive search that ensued, if he was nearby, shouldn't he have heard people yelling for him? Couldn't dogs have sniffed him out? Shouldn't those infrared helicopters detected him? So I began to wonder, is it possible that maybe Jared was hiding on purpose? 
It hadn't really occurred to me when I first started reading articles about this case. And nowhere was it suggested that he would have done this on his own volition. But since we have no idea what happened to the boy, I thought maybe it'd be worth exploring. Can we put ourselves in his place on that day? Jared was on his very first overnight backpacking hike with his Boy Scout troop when he became tired and began falling behind. I mentioned earlier that Jared may have been a little bit stockier in build than the rest of the kids his age, which may have contributed to him becoming tired faster than the others. And this was a challenging hike, as it was meant to be for the scouts. It's not supposed to be easy. Now, how would you feel if you were on this strenuous hike and you began lagging behind the others? Would you be frustrated? Would you be embarrassed? Maybe Jared was one of those kids that was always a little bit slower, always a little bit behind when it came to these rigorous activities. Maybe he was always the last to cross the finish line when jogging the mile in P.E. I can certainly relate to that. I don't know what kind of a personality Jared had and how he would have coped with or reacted to having had to hang back while the rest of his troop pressed forward to the summit. And what were the other kids saying about it when Jared stayed behind? We all know how kids can be especially at that middle school age. They can be pretty mean, but does that necessarily apply in this setting amongst Boy Scouts? Are they allowed to behave in ways that puts down or belittles others? Or would they have been a group of boys who were understanding and caring and concerned, encouraging Jared to take a rest and they'd be back for him? What those boys may have said, what they may have done, the manner in which they behaved could have had an impact on Jared's state of mind as they walked on the remainder of the hike without him. Because you see, the fact remains that Jared did not do what he was asked to do. He was apparently told by the troop leader to stay put and they would meet back up with him on their way back down, but he didn't. I'm fairly certain the troop did what they said that they were going to do. They came back down to collect Jared, but when they returned, he was gone. But why? Why didn't Jared stay where he was supposed to have stayed? What would compel him to wander off alone into the forest, never to be found? Perhaps he decided to try and catch up with his group because he wanted to accomplish the climb to the summit as well and got mixed up with his directions and went the wrong way and failed to run into his troop as they ascended the mountain. Maybe he grew impatient waiting and decided to try to make his way back down to the base camp. Was 12-year-old Jared confident and competent enough to think that he could find his way back down the mountain alone? I could believe that he thought that. Easily, actually. Yep, I could very easily believe a 12-year-old to be a know-it-all. But, oh, the lessons they have to learn yet, right? I don't know about Jared, though. He wasn't able to complete the hike with his troop. So what would compel him to think that he could make his way back down unassisted? He was tired. It was going to get dark soon. 
maybe he just wasn't aware of his limitations. So maybe he was upset or hurt or angry or even fed up with the whole thing because he wasn't able to make it. And maybe he ventured off on his own, upset and filled with emotions, which caused him to not really be able to think rationally or even care what he was doing or where he was going. I could easily see a 12-year-old becoming angry and overwhelmed and acting out in such a way. But again, I don't know Jared, and I don't know how volatile he was emotionally. But he was 12, so yeah, he could have become upset and stormed off. He was out there eating his snacks and taking that selfie, and it's my understanding that wasn't too far off from where he was last seen. So when his troop descended back down the mountain looking for him, they'd be calling out his name, right? The whole group of them, wouldn't they? If he wasn't too far out, wouldn't he have heard them? Within three hours of Jared's disappearance, at least 20 people were scouring the mountainside calling out for him. Maybe he was down an embankment, or maybe there was a stream of running water and he couldn't hear Or maybe he was in a place where the woods and forests were just too dense for sound to travel that far. Or maybe he did hear them, but he didn't want to answer because he didn't want to rejoin his troop because he was upset about something and he was being stubborn. You can picture that, right? A stubborn 12-year-old? Yeah, totally. And he simply wasn't thinking about or aware of the consequences of what he was doing in that moment, refusing to rejoin his troop. Is he really thinking that he is never going to come down off that mountain ever again? Is a 12-year-old capable of grasping the finality of all that? Or was he just thinking he would come down whenever he felt like it because he had the confidence in his abilities to find his own way, and he just wanted to show them that he could do it on his own, that he could make it, that he wasn't going to be that kid they left behind. Maybe Jared had feelings of being left out. Maybe he wanted to garner some attention for himself by hiding from his troop, causing them some worry, causing them to have to seek him out, and then feel a sense of relief and happiness that they'd found him, and he'd be like the center of attention for the evening. Only, they never found him. Could that have been a possible plan of Jared's? To do something so drastic for attention? I suppose, yeah. We've heard of people doing some crazy stuff for attention. I don't know, though. I'm really trying to put myself in that place. In the mind of a 12-year-old boy, and I'm falling short here. Obviously, I've never been a 12-year-old boy. And I have but one daughter that I've raised, so my scope is limited. Something drew Jared away from waiting for his troop to come back for him. Whether it was impatience or anger or frustration or impulsivity, curiosity, something made him walk away. But it still doesn't answer the most nagging question. Where on earth is Jared? No matter how or why he left, why has he not been found? If animals and wildlife got to him, Then what became of his clothes and shoes? Surely those things must be someplace on that mountain if he fell victim to the elements or some sort of wildlife. 
And what does the lack of clothing and shoes actually mean? That maybe he made it off the mountain somehow and he didn't actually perish there? This is a theory that I'm not too big on because it requires so much chance and coincidence. But it's at least worth mentioning because this is true crime and we've just about seen it all, am I right? So say Jared is meandering his way down this mountain and he somehow crosses paths with some random person who convinces Jared to ditch his hike and go do something else. Seems kind of far-fetched, doesn't it? Well, it happened to Sandra Cantu a couple of episodes ago. Granted, that was in her own neighborhood, and she was familiar with the individual who lured her away, but still, it could be something Jared may have fell victim to. An unassuming, considerate, albeit stranger, but enticing nonetheless, manages to convince Jared that there was more to life than this hike, and then spirited him away from the mountain from his troop and from this world forever. I don't like it. You see, it gets me thinking about Maura Murray. And you all know her story, right? She left college, told some lies, bought some booze, jumped in her car, and started heading north on a desolate highway towards parts unknown. She crashed her car, encounters a bus driver from whom she refuses help, And when he goes to summon police and paramedics, she seemingly vanishes into thin air. And there is a theory out there that she was abducted by a random passerby who just happens to be one of those rare human beings that doesn't stop to help but stops to harm. What are the chances that, of all the good, well-meaning people out there, that the one person who has a nefarious agenda is the one to find and steal Mora from this world? especially on that highway less traveled. The chances feel astronomical that Mora would have encountered that bad guy. But it's conceivable, right? It's completely within the realm of possibility. So I ask, could Jared have encountered a bad guy too? The chances are so astronomical that it's hard for me to want to even entertain the idea. But I can't help but go there because... Jared did not vanish without a trace. He left those clues behind, but never were his clothes or his shoes found, which lends to the theory that he may just have made it off that mountain and ended up somewhere else. And maybe he died or maybe he didn't because we sit here today talking about this without any proof that Jared died or if he lived. How wild would that be? to think that Jared might be alive out there somewhere. You never know, and until any trace of him or his clothing is ever found, any scenario is possible. I've looked at that last picture of Jared many times and stared at it, studying it, I guess you could say. When you Google Jared's name, it's not the first picture that comes up, it's the second. It's the only one that I could find, and it's in black and white because it was printed in the newspaper back during the time that the search was still on for him. The first one is another color photo of Jared, and I'm not sure if it was contained on that same roll of film that was developed from his camera, but he does appear to be on a hike. It's in color, and he has a backpack on, 
and you can see maybe the Boy Scout patches attached to his shirt on the shoulders, but he's not smiling. He's very serious, but serene at the same time. It looks as if he's slightly squinting because of the sun. Someone else took this picture of him as it was taken a little bit further away. The black and white picture of Jared, however, is extremely close up and it's apparent that he turned the camera on himself and snapped the photo. If you look up the picture, you might catch yourself staring at it too. It only shows his eyes and his nose. I know Jared's story has no end, that we're sitting here many years later wondering what became of this boy. So my mind immediately wants to see the fear in his eyes. Is that what you see? I asked my daughter, not telling her who it was in the picture or what was happening to him when he took it, and I asked her what she saw in looking at his face and at his eyes. And her answers were sadness, despair, and anger. I told her afterwards what was going on in the picture. Those are pretty perceptive answers. Sadness, despair, anger. Then I began to wonder about something else. Why did Jared take that photo of himself? It appeared to have been taken sometime after dark and the flash had been activated, but I was unable to determine if there was a timestamp on the photo. Not all cameras did that. I remember when I used to have film developed, the date would sometimes be printed on the back of each picture, but that was the date of the development, not the day that the picture was taken. So why? Why did this boy, wandering around this mountainside, pull out his camera out of his backpack and take this selfie? My first inclination is to think that Jared had come to the realization that he was doomed and he wanted to leave one last image of himself behind for his family to have because he was certain he'd never see them again. But is a 12 year old really going to engage in thinking that intense with that much consideration for the finality of his situation that his life was irrevocably over and this was his only way to send a message to his loved ones? I think it's possible. I guess we'd have to factor in whatever experiences Jared had during his short life in order to determine if his mind would go to places that dark, if he would feel this kind of despair. And then would he actually think the camera was going to be found and he wouldn't be? You see, according to those who discovered the camera, it looked as though he accidentally dropped it in an attempt to slide down an embankment, and it appeared that he did not know that he lost it. So, I would surmise that he thought maybe he would be found with this camera, but he would no longer be alive, and there would be that one last picture of himself for his family to have. Again, I can't say whether or not he was capable of being in that kind of mindset. Or perhaps he took that picture because he was getting anxious or bored or nervous or antsy and just began fiddling around with the camera as he was going along and decided to take a picture of himself for no particular reason other than out of boredom. Or maybe he had grown weary as the evening dragged on 
and he decided to rest for a bit before either trying to maybe take a nap or continue on trying to find his way, at which point he decided to play around with the camera again out of boredom. The look in his eyes do appear to be sad or scared, but he could have also been exhausted or upset. It's open to interpretation. Whatever reason he took that picture, it certainly is one of those that's worth a thousand words. What was also apparent is Jared did not seem to make any obvious efforts to be found if he were out there wandering and lost on that mountain. He was a Boy Scout, so I assume they're taught certain survival skills, including what to do and what not to do when you get lost. Obviously, Jared failed to follow the instructions of his troop leader by not staying put when he was told they would come back for him. And subsequent to that, he didn't seem to do anything to get help for himself. He wandered off. He didn't stay on any clear trails. He didn't make his way to any open spaces or a clearing, and he didn't leave any signs that he was nearby. He didn't build a fire. He didn't hang something bright that could easily be seen by a helicopter. He didn't fashion any forest debris and spell out anything like help or SOS in the area that could be seen from the sky. He could have used his flash on his camera repeatedly at night by snapping pictures over and over again. He could have continued activating the flash even if he ran out of film, really until the battery wore down or the flashbulb burned out. It just doesn't seem like Jared made any attempts to make his whereabouts obvious. So where does this leave us today? For me, I'm most inclined to believe that Jared died on that mountain. And despite one of the largest searches in California history, wherever he laid was sadly overlooked. There is a slim chance that Jared left on his own volition he may have even made it off the mountain and decided that he did not want to go back to his life. Maybe he did get the rotten luck of running into an individual who did him harm. We just don't know. And as for Jared's family, they continue chasing ghosts. Ten years after Jared was lost forever, his dad, Felipe Negretti, saw the news of a 16-year-old named William Parvin who had gone missing on that very same mountain. Felipe headed back out to that mountain where his boy went missing to join in the search effort. But you know, he wasn't only looking for William. He was hoping that with some stroke of luck that he would find a sign of his own missing boy. He climbed that mountain and he took that path he knew his son took 10 years earlier praying his entire way up that rugged terrain. He described being able to feel his son's presence. And he felt this connection to William's family, that tragic relationship that's often forged with parents who experience similar heartbreak in losing a child in a way such as they had. William was found four days later, dehydrated, bruised, but alive. Felipe left that mountain again, still haunted by whatever became of his Jared. Jared's parents went on to raise two adopted children, along with their other two biological children. 
And you guys didn't expect me to end this story without pointing my finger of blame at that troop leader who told Jared to take a rest and they'd come back for him on their way back. Of course, Jared should have stayed put, but he's 12. That troop leader was completely negligent in leaving Jared without adult supervision. And in talking to a friend of mine who was knowledgeable as to the standard operating procedures of the scouts, this should not have ever happened. The troop should not have separated, and even if they had, an adult should have stayed back with Jared. But there wasn't, because a group of 14 boys only had one adult with them. There should have been two. There should have been one adult in the front and one adult bringing up the rear. And apparently, it was more important to make it to the summit of that mountain than to slow down or stop or turn back because one child was having difficulty keeping up. So, he instructs him to rest and they'd come back? Okay, you guys, can you actually picture yourself doing that? We're all adults listening here, right? At least I hope we are. Picture yourself in charge of 14 kids. That's overwhelming as it is, right? And to have to handle that all by yourself? No thanks. And you don't even have to picture yourself doing this on a mountain. Picture yourself in charge of 14 kids at a park or at a swimming pool or at the mall or at the movies. That's a lot of kids to be responsible for, isn't it? Can you imagine yourself, say, at the movies, for example, and one of the kids says that he doesn't want to go see the movie. So you tell him to go ahead and sit in the lobby and wait there while everyone else goes in to see the movie and we'll come back and get you when the movie's over. Oh, and stay put, right? Would you honestly be able to sit through that movie comfortably with one of your kids whose well-being you're responsible for sitting out in the lobby for an hour and a half? Yeah, I don't think so. And this wasn't even in the comfort of a movie theater lobby with games and concessions and other people around. This was Jared in a forest with nothing but trees, wildlife, and nobody around. No way. None of us would do something like this. Not in a movie theater, not in a forest, not anywhere. I'm relatively certain that none of us would care to be put in charge of 14, 12-year-olds either because I know I wouldn't like it. And based on how Jared's fate remains shrouded in mystery, we can only hope that that troop leader was never allowed to take charge of a troop of scouts again. Now, don't get me wrong. I am a believer in second chances, but not for something like this. Because of his negligence, and recklessness and thoughtlessness, the Negretti's lost their boy forever. I don't know what repercussions that troop leader was made to face. There's nothing that's been reported in the media that I could find. I don't know if he was terminated as a troop leader. Maybe his son was a part of the group and that's why he was assigned to them. I have no idea. But I also wonder if he would have done the same thing if it was his son that was tired and needed to take a rest. Would he have left his boy behind and told them they'd be right back? I doubt it. Jared went missing July 19, 1991. 
and according to his page on thecharlieproject.org, he is classified as lost, injured, missing. He would be 39 years old if he were alive today. He was approximately 5 foot 2 or 1.57 meters in height and weighed about 150 pounds or 68 kilograms. He was Hispanic with black hair and brown eyes and had a small birthmark on his right cheek. He needs to wear prescription glasses. The ones he may have had with him had brown plastic frames. He was wearing a tan t-shirt, green Boy Scout pants, and black high-top sneakers. Thank you, dreamers, for listening to Jared's story. My thoughts are with the Negretti family tonight, and I do hope that someday they are able to find the answers that have been eluding them for 27 years. And until next time, sweet dreams. <laughs>